0: welcome to this episode of c-suite interviews where leaders from across the business spectrum share ideas about how to help organizations thrive whether working in the nonprofit, public or private sectors you'll hear tips from emerging and veteran leaders that are sure to enlighten and inspire if you're ready here's the host of c-suite interviews john janclays hello everyone and welcome to c-suite interviews i'm your host john janclays and I want to welcome those who are maybe listening for the first time and welcome back our regular listeners. You know, this is a show where we interview leaders from across the business spectrum with the goal of enlightening and inspiring our audience with their experience. Today, we're going to bring you someone who's going to deliver on both of those fronts. We're interviewing John Tibbetts. John served as the president and CEO of American Airlines Federal Credit Union from 1991 to 2008, John also was the president of North Island Credit Union from 2009 to 2012. During his career, John has served the credit union movement in a number of ways, working for CUNA, NAFCU, the Texas Credit Union League, the Federal Reserve, and other entities. John is also an author, a consultant, a speaker, and John has over 50 years of management experience with 40 of those at the executive level. I think you're going to hear John's passion for the business. And as John is famous for saying, um, it's the credit union business, where it's an environment we can love what we do, love those who we do it with, and love those who we do it for. So if you're ready, here's my interview with John Tibbetts. Hi, John. How are you?
1: I am very well, excited to be with you
0: today. I am so glad you made time for us. For our listening audience, we are in beautiful San Diego. I am turning around and looking out the window and in the days leading up to this interview it had been raining and I didn't know if we were gonna have clear skies for you but the, the gods are smiling on us because it's 70 degrees out there typical San Diego weather so welcome to San Diego John I'm
1: enjoying it immensely having a good time here Getting uh, get a chance to recall some good memories that I had uh, when I was with North Island here and uh, yes the weather turned nice
0: <laughs> yeah it did hey we're gonna talk an awful lot about leadership your career, lessons learned. I mean, we're all on some kind of leadership journey. But maybe a good place to start is, what are you doing right now?
1: Well, I'm retired for the third or fourth
0: time, John, you're never <laughs> retired. Come on. Tell us about some of the other things that I, you're doing.
1: I uh, continue to get opportunities to tell the story about my dad hmm. as a survivor of an airplane crash in Alaska in 1943. Tell it three or four times every year. I told it as many as 10 times a year. I still, so I still do that, but I'm also continuing to do some consulting in the credit union world. Uh, Most recently I've done, uh, last fall I did a a strategic planning consulting engagement with uh, a credit union here in California. And then most recently I've done one up a month or so ago up in Oregon. So still consulting with uh, credit unions and speaking on leadership and trying to help them through strategic plan reviews or whatever else is the need of the times.
0: That's super. So i, I got to poke you a little bit. Is there another book that you're going to write? Because Hearts of Courage was written in what, 2009, eight 2008, something? 2008. 2008, something like that. And uh, you came to our executive team meeting and uh, reviewed the book with us and yep. you know shared lessons of courage, uh, persistence, uh, passion your father had for aviation. And
1: uh, uh, gratitude for his success and to all those people who helped him survive that. Instance. I don't know there's another book. Uh, I do a lot of writing. I I get a chance. I've had grandsons that have been serving in the mission field in the Mormon Church and I've had a chance every week for the last four years to send a email and so I sort of dabble in little principles in each email that I can share with the grandsons. I've had uh, Spain, Ghana, uh, Brazil and now Chile and these uh, and then I copy in the other grandkids. So that's the current writing. And I'm feeling
0: letters to my grandsons. Yes. The yes, best of kind yeah, of a, like kind of a, right a series like that. So
1: that's the current uh, writing right. project. Well, we kind
0: of feel like we're working our ways backwards in your professional journey. Um, I think our listeners would want to know, where did the journey start? I mean, they didn't start as CEO of a credit union. So what was kind of your entry point? And take two or three minutes and kind of what was your progression in your journey as a professional?
1: Well, uh, early on, I knew I wanted to be in the aviation industry. And so I took classes at UCLA that I thought would be complementary to a career. I took them in strategic planning, accounting, economics, particularly transportation economics. Hmm. I got part-time jobs that would relate to the aviation industry. I checked bags for United Airlines at Los Angeles International in the early 60s. had a summer job with the FAA in Alaska. I had another summer job with the Civil Aeronautics Board in Washington, DC as an intern. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in my graduate year and a half or so at UCLA, I took a clerical job with American Airlines in air freight. So I had I, that's kind of a prep going through college class wise and mm-hmm. job wise. Uh, went to Manhattan with American Airlines in 1967 uh, got a pretty heady job to start with I was in strategic mm-hmm. planning I had interactions with board members and senior executives on significant projects etc it was really a great role great experience I got involved in negotiations as American considered that they needed to get into hotels mm-hmm. and so I my first project was the Ala Moana Hotel in uh, La, uh, Hawaii. Wow. Uh, a couple of years later, I was involved in the acquisition of five hotels uh, from the Tish Corporation. Uh, so that was pretty my early start of my career. John, how old are you during this time? I was late 20s. Okay. Uh, this is I heady had,
0: stuff to be doing strategic planning was, in your 20s, it right? It was great. Yeah.
1: But the real benefit that happened, uh, kind of a sequence of events, at, at 31, I guess it would be, I got signed as a regional vice president for a subsidiary that did airline catering. Hmm. And I got sent to San Francisco. And I had this western half western half of the country. I had Tulsa, and Oklahoma, and El Paso. That was as far east as I went. And then Phoenix and Tucson. And then Honolulu and Hilo and Portland. Tough Oregon. duty there. Oh, man. wonderful locations <laughs> and traveling out of San Francisco. Mm. But what was really valuable is that I was working with really blue-collar America, Mm. and not just blue-collar America the way we would normally think of it, but also people of many different nationalities, African-Americans, Latinos, uh, Polynesians, uh, Chinese and Japanese, we had this diversity in these airline catering kitchens, and we had airport restaurants, we had waitresses and mm-hmm. and, and uh, retail shops, etc., but the point is I was getting a chance to reorient or to get a footing in the real world as opposed to just the ivory tower. So. That was a great compliment for my career. For the rest of my career,
0: that's being a, able to relate to people point. at
1: all levels. Yeah. Today and we work
0: so hard at diversity and inclusion and trying to find methods and ways to get there, but for you to have that practical, hands-on experience as you've explained is that's invaluable. Uh, like, it that was connection. the
1: greatest single uh, yeah. uh, blessing to my career. I mm-hmm. really think so. Mm-hmm. Totally apart from the ivory tower stuff. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Good combination. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you land in the CEO seat?
1: How did that happen? Um, I had a continuing career on that Sky Chef side of American Airlines. It was a subsidiary for about 20 years. And uh, I had marketing jobs and I had uh, planning and subsequently in finance, et cetera. So I had a VP levels. I'd gotten on the board of directors of the credit union as sort of representative of that profile, that, that segment of the uh, uh, company population and the uh, CEO of the credit union was getting ready to retire, and I was ready uh, for the midlife crisis adjustment, and put my name in <laughs> the there.
0: midlife yeah. crisis adjustment. I love that. Uh,
1: the, and I had a great interview. I want to say okay. they, they American Airlines had a practice of having a psychologist spend a half day with candidates for senior executive positions, and so credit union borrowed this psychologist, and their board had me spend a half day. Wonderful interview. I, I have no yeah. idea what we talked about, but I came away exhilarated with the conversation. We talked about the population of America, trends in politics and economics. I don't know if we talked at all about the credit union <laughs> industry at all. Yeah. But I was selected then to be the CEO of the credit union, and that was 1991 and uh, had the 17-year career with American Airlines Federal Credit
0: Union as the CEO. Storied career. I mean, from one billion in assets to close to what, five billion by the time you left. And Capstone for you was, um, what, 2012, NAFQ naming you CEO of the year?
1: The 2012 uh, was at my second CEO role, <laughs> I retired from America in 2008 and then 2009 to 2012 I was here in San Diego running the North Island Credit Union that had a little bit of stressful economic circumstances going through the financial crisis, regulators ready to close it down really. But we, I came out here, worked here three years, turned that one around and I didn't turn it around People turned it around. I was just steering the ship a little bit.
0: So we've had a so we've had a nice you know kind of recovery since the recession. Yes. And we're looking ahead to maybe storm clouds on the horizon. Some people say. Um, and as we head into that again, if you were talking to CEOs and they find themselves with their institution struggling a little bit, capital dropping maybe, John, what have you learned from that experience? Saying hey, there is a little bit of a playbook. You know, history doesn't repeat itself exactly but there's themes that will play out. What, what did you learn through that that others can lean on and, and use?
1: Well, I, I do remember looking back and seeing some things that were so obvious that we just didn't over- react to as well as we should have. Okay. Uh, I remember running the American Airlines Credit Union in the mid-2000s, and we had gotten to a situation that there were places around the, uh, the country that we couldn't make a mortgage for one of our members. We couldn't do it in Southern California. We couldn't find a match for our criteria of sound lending, and their needs to get into a home. We just couldn't match them up. And I should have been, you know, red flagging that. Why is that happening? Uh, I remember also a different one. I remember a CEO of a credit union explaining uh, his business lending, and I'm thinking there that this person doesn't know what he's talking about. It just doesn't make sense. He's not competent in this field and this ended up being a credit union the NCUA later Mm conserved. My point is only is we saw some things going on that we should have been conscious of and taken some actions we could have done it without waiting until it became crisis. Mm -hmm. I I remember when I came here to San Diego and I visited with a good economist here in San Diego and he showed me a graphic he said here's the graphic of housing prices over the last ten years in San Diego County, and it had a nice slope to it. Mm-hmm. And here's the graphic that includes the growth of uh, income and population in San Diego County, and it had a much slower slope. And you could see the disproportionate increase in housing prices when the population and the economy couldn't support it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking, that how did we take those lessons that we went through 10 years ago and mm-hmm. make sure that we don't watch the same disasters happen? Now they'll be different, there'll be different challenges. Today it's FinTech and you know, there's 38% now of uh, some portion of personal lending, which is done by entities that not regulated, not, not, nobody follows and understands closely, but they're significant in that industry. We're seeing Apple with a credit card. Mm -hmm. So my point is, there may be things going on around us that we should be thinking about. Uh, The the medallion taxi cabs. The only thing that was supporting that industry and the price of those medallions was an arbitrary regulation that limited the number of medallion taxicabs. And once somebody found their way around it, those things plunged in value. Mm-hmm. My point is only again, there may be things like that that are happening today. The auto industry may be in the throes of a material change, automation,
0: uh, Autonomous vehicles. Autonomous vehicles. Right. Um, Shared riding rather than owning a vehicle. Sure.
1: Avoiding the dealerships for selling. I mean, we've got the Carvana and we've got uh, the Tesla model, etc. There's been attempts. So some of the things we may depend on or take as a assumption of forever into the future may change. Will, definitely will change. I think that's the real clue. They will change and we need to be able to
0: adjust to them. So when you're meeting with boards and you're helping them think about strategic planning, Do you have a process, John, that you lead them through to kind of get their orientation about how do we serve our members, how do we differentiate, how do you help them kind of arrive at that kind of thinking?
1: Well, the first thing I do is listen. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay.
1: I usually spend two, three days with the board and the senior leadership team just listening. What are your issues? What are your priorities? What are your goals, objectives? Uh, What are unusual problems that you're dealing with? What's your current community or your community, uh, what's going on in your community, your environment around. So first thing I do is listen. That's, yeah. that's my strategy. Secondly, I try to take cues from them out of the listening experiences. What is it we're going to want to talk about? What What do you want to talk about? Not what I want to talk about. What do you want to talk about? And then thirdly, I try to find a benchmark. Uh, there's always the benchmark of what is it that you want to compare yourself to. Sometimes the benchmark is who in a similar situation has gone through similar things to you, how did they react and what worked and didn't work? Okay, that's just, you know, why reinvent the wheel? Who's already done this problem and solved it in a certain way, okay? Secondly, I am very reliant on uh, the Michael Porter, what is strategy model. I like to use it if it fits the circumstances based on my listening experience, I may go back and use it as a tool as we talk going forward because Michael Porter argues that it's your differentiations, how you're different than your competitors, or your potential competitors, how you reinforce those differences, how do you move those, use those differences to grow into the future. So often that'll be a, a source. And, and thirdly, I, I will often spend time on leadership you know there's all sorts of specialists in this industry and others who can talk about the technology or the uh, economics or you know whatever other specialty may be relevant I usually often come back to leadership and saying there are core leadership principles that really matter and I will often
0: spend some time on that in a strategy discussion okay
1: where are you with the right people skills the right leadership uh, principles
0: yeah I love that framework right? That first listening and take in the data and see where you're at before you start prescribing, Absolutely. And, you know, then look to options that you find, you know, both internally and out in the marketplace. I'm hearing you say, and yep. using a good framework, like, you know, Porter is, is good. I'm, I'm fond of Drucker's, uh, five questions, Yep, yep. right? Th- yep. That's a great framework too. Yep. So I mean, I find it comforting, John, in this time when people are talking about so much disruption, the velocity of change. That there are some really good principles and frameworks that you can use to orient yourself really quickly to a situation. Yeah. You know, like you seem to be so adept at doing for credit unions. I've,
1: I've, I've followed the disruption theory kind of closely. I like Creighton Christensen uh, for other things that he's written about. Yes, uh, I'm just not comfortable with it because uh, I'm worried that people disrupt before having a plan to come out of disruption. I think disruption requires a lot more conscientious planning than some who think it's just let's change what we do. Okay,
0: mm-hmm. I like that. Transitioning a little bit. Okay. So, you, leadership. You were saying. Give me some of your thoughts about leadership that are that are timeless. That if I'm a young leader, I'm trying to make my way. I know leadership's important. Everybody talks about it. Sometimes it feels kind of ethereal or like air to me. I can't get my arms around it. Help us get our arms around it. You know, what are some of your thoughts on leadership that you would share with an emerging young leader saying, hey, pay attention to these these things?
1: Probably a very long list and we'll go with the short list. You talked about a very young person first. I've had the conversation with kids in college and I say take all the psychology you can and all the accounting you can. You're going to deal with people and numbers. You're going to deal with people, human characteristics, uh, psychology, and you're going to deal with accounting and numbers. I said, so take all of that. So that's the yeah. starting point for any leadership, as far as I'm concerned. I think other things are very cr- foundational. Mm-hmm. I think communications is critical to leadership. Mm-hmm. Communications is often written emails today, podcasts like this, other forms of communication. are social media today. Yeah. But I also highly advocate face-to-face communication. I just think being there where your people are, interacting with them in their circumstances, you can read more with their eyes, yeah, you can absolutely. read more with their, their words if you're face-to-face with them. So I often found uh, the best conversations I would have with employees with the ones who had to work on Saturdays and I would go into Saturdays and have, bring them donuts and visit with them it's something i learned from my dad my dad was the head of the faa here in the western states in the 60s and i watched him and you know, he would go in the middle of winter to a remote mountaintop and visit with the guys who are at the FAA towers, uh, you know, running aviation twenty-four by seven. I think and I remember reading somewhere he'd show up early yeah. in the morning and have breakfast with them and just yes, talk the, in the tower with them. That's, right, yeah. that's right. That's yeah. right. That was my dad. I remember on a Thanksgiving day he would disappear after we ate the turkey and he was he was somewhere in a desert <laughs> a few hours later to visiting with somebody. Mm. So yes, face-to-face communication, listening as much as you can, and then communicating effectively are incredible. I think another one that's high on the list though is just plain integrity. I've always thought that uh, executives are, have no secrets, okay? They have no secrets. Everybody in your organization knows where you are, when you went, with in and out, where you went, why you went, yeah, yeah. You know, You're playing golf four times a week on the Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday afternoon. Tuesday and Thursday, people are wondering where you are. Hey, As my, if they don't know, yeah, right? right? At some point, they're smart, they figure it out. Anyway, so yeah. it's, it's, a level, it's a level of personal integrity that will get across to your employees wherever you are. And whatever you're doing, they know and they're going to model ba- accordingly. Mm-hmm. I think that's a critical element. I think there's a critical element of vision. I know it's not that we can all see forward, okay? That's peri- prof- prophetic vision, and not many of us have prophetic skills. Mm-hmm. But we all have peripheral skills. We can all see what's going on around us. We can read the Wall Street Journal every day as much as we can. We can read good books. We can uh, you know, establish a peripheral vision of what's going on in our industry and in related industries for example in the credit union community the Mm -hmm. auto industry or the housing world or uh, other other tangents. I like how you
0: talk about that peripheral vision you don't have to have 360 understand every industry globally everything right that's overwhelming (laughs) but you do have a strategy and an orientation and a north star and through those lenses you're looking out and related to that is where maybe you can narrow your focus and your learning, it feels like, is what yeah, you're saying.
1: You're never going to be the expert in social media, never going yeah. to be the expert in uh, technology, you're yeah. not going to be the expert in uh, uh, even economics or finance as, as we would might specialize. But no, you can learn enough peripherally to understand what's going on and then look for the skill sets that complement uh, your own deficiencies and uh, have that team around you that can move forward. Okay.
0: So peripheral vision helps us have anticipation. You talked about integrity. I really like that that has come up in our I'll conversation. Add it, I'll add two other things. Uh, Good. Do the
1: right thing, okay? And whatever the right thing is, make the choice to do the right thing. It's, it's, it's You can make one simple rule, You know what's right and make sure you do it. I think another variation of that, it's do something that uh, will be successful. Uh, there's Murphy's Law, okay? Mm-hmm. Murphy's Law, something, can't go wrong, it will. Well, the reverse of it is a guy who was uh, an Al Casey. He was the president of American Airlines for a significant portion of my career. Al's law was, Al Casey's law was, uh, if something can go right, it should. And we have to make sure it does. Okay, that's kind of the way Casey's law. So do the right thing, I think, is a a critical one. And then I actually bring another word into my philosophy, and that is love. I think you can love what you do, and you can love the people you do it with, and you can love the people you do it for, and I think that's relevant to leadership. Now, it's easier to do in the credit union world than many other uh, industries. Uh, Love does fit. This is an industry where we're here to help people improve their lives, and uh, we do it every day, and we can love what we do, and love the people we do it with, and love the people we do it for I so anyway, like I'll add that one. I, I, well, I love that alignment, <laughs> right? That, that, it can work, and, yes. and it probably
0: has a, kind of a, a multiplier effect, one on the other, right? So yeah. Um, yeah, that, that resonates with me 100%. Good. 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 Yeah. So um, you mentioned some leaders, your dad. And you yep. mentioned the, the CEO at, at American. How about some other leaders that you look at, too, and you say, you know, that, that's worth studying that leader. That's worth, um, you know, it influenced you.
1: You know, I have often realized how much I enjoy real history and real biography as opposed to fiction. Now, I've read a lot of fiction. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've read uh, great books that are historical fiction as much as any, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I've read fiction. But I really enjoy real history. I, I just finished last year a new book called Leadership uh, in Turbulent Times, I think is the way it's called, Doris Kearns Goodwin. Uh, Just a great book. She talks about four presidents, Hmm. uh, Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and then Lyndon Johnson. And she talks about their backgrounds, and then she talks about how they each dealt with a difficult time in their career, something that they had to make a decision on and act on and get, get done. And they're just, it's great leadership principles. My point is, I love history because it's real. Mm-hmm. It's what happened. And the good, well-written history, you can learn a lot from. And that book I just mentioned is the most marked-up book I've ever had besides my scriptures. I, mm-hmm. I do mark books while I'm reading them. It just helps yeah. me remember yeah. what I'm, and impacting me. And I really marked that one up substantially.
0: Okay, so I've, so I've got to ask, because <laughs> I'm a reading person too. You know, yeah. you and I share reading lists back and yeah. forth how do you mark up your book is there anything that you do that that is kind of a process that's developed over the years that helps I, you i of, wish
1: there was a logic yeah. to it yeah there's some sentences with stars there's yeah. some paragraphs with circles sometimes i have a highlighter that i'm underlining with a highlighter or i'm highlighting yeah. uh, no there is not a real good rationality yeah. to it and yeah. when i go back to look at the book that i've marked the, the way I find some of the things I marked is under some dog-deared bottom pages. <laughs> <laughs> so, there is no rational
0: method. Darn it, I'm John. I was sunk. hoping that you had yeah. the secret of how to do no, this. No. Yeah, but it's so fascinating when you're reading that you get so engrossed in what you're reading. You can just feel the energy building, the excitement. Like, oh, i got to remember that. Oh, I can use that. Or like, oh, my God, what that must have been like.
1: I'm reading you a know. 30, 40-year-old book now by McCullough about the uh, pathway between the seas, I guess it's called, about the Panama Canal. And I'm in the, the long first quarter of the book about the challenges of the French version of the Panama Canal. Hmm. But it was a bit of hyperbole. I guess that's a good word for it. There was a bit of uh, ego involved. There was uh, naivety involved a lot of money chasing fortunes, greed involved, Mm. and it was chaotic and ultimately a disaster for the French who had sponsored this great enterprise. But there were people around who were understanding what the mistakes were that they were making, learning quite well, figuring out what would be the next successful version of the Panama Canal, which we then know. Mm. Uh, So I'm looking forward to the final 80% of the book that's gonna be about the Panama Canal at work. But the one
0: that didn't work is probably one that we get the most lessons from, I would suspect. Hmm. I think that's right. Sometimes uh, pain and and uh, you know are are good teachers to us. You know, hot stove, right? Kind yep. of a thing, you never forget uh, that, that.
1: That goes back to my earlier conversation about four or five of the things I remember observing in our credit union industry in the mid two thousands that we should have realized the disaster they were headed for. Hmm. We missed them. Yeah, we but might have recognized them, but we didn't act on them well
0: enough. I well, think you know, it's great advice to young leaders, right? There's a lot of ways to learn and you can learn good and bad both sides of the ledgers just by reading history or being observant or you know John, my way of learning are these interviews like this. Sitting down and talking oh, with I, accomplished I envy, people. Oh, I envy you. This is a great opportunity. Oh, 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 to be able to talk. I mean over 50 years of history and I mean look at this. I have my journal sitting here and I'll transcribe a lot of what we talk about here into the journal and just kind of that's, I call my journal my sponge. I just soak up stuff, you know. Yeah from people looking for a couple things just things that inspire me, you know, give me energy to continue on and enlighten me, you know, like I'm, I'm smarter now cuz I talked to John today, you know. I uh, uh, ran after North Island. I did uh, some consulting
1: for a, a large credit union here in Orange County uh, about nine months uh, on site with them, then I've been back on a second follow-up uh, a year or so later. But in the middle of, uh, well, 2013, 2014, I was the CEO of a small credit union that was looking for a new CEO, and I was just holding the thing together while they searched, and I helped them with their search. But I remember sitting through, you know, like six weeks, in the middle of that third three months, and I had to make about half a dozen decisions, and they were just to do the right thing at the right time. I mean, I remember walking an employee out who obviously didn't fit in the organization, didn't really understand how to relate fairly and rightly with women in the, in the credit union. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said to myself, I, I published, I think I sent you a copy, a short list, 12 principles. They were all around doing the right thing, including though, loving what you do, and a few of the, the basics like that too. But I had that four months experience to apply a whole bunch of things that I would learned over my career. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's, let's transition again. Bear? Doing these roles take a, a ton of energy to lead an organization, to do what's right sometimes requires energy. It's not the easiest thing to do sometimes. You know, what's your advice to, to leaders about, you know, take care of your energy because that's, a, that's a, not an infinite store that you can just keep drawing on. What, what are your thoughts about that? What are some of your practices? How, what's restorative for you?
1: Well, family is, Mm -hmm. I've now got 14 grandkids, so I get regrounded with uh, (laughs) interactions with grandkids on a pretty regular basis, so that's a a special uh, chance for recharge. Uh, I think uh, uh, a personal revelation that's come back very often is just a good night's sleep is a critical element of functioning well in the next day. You just need a good night's sleep. I remember, I know consciously when I do consulting gigs to make sure I get there far enough ahead that I've got a good restful night before I have my consulting gig the next day. It's just important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that's critical. Uh, and I think sometimes just going back over, you know, I've been here before, what lesson is applicable today? that I don't have to relearn. I you know, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to use all that psychic energy. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's right. I, 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 where is it that I've seen this before, know what, yeah. what this is about and what can I use that's a previously applied skill skill or a principle? Okay, so I think that helps too. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and recharging yourself, a lot of that's personality. You yeah. just have to enjoy what you're doing. I mean, that's critical too. Just enjoy what you're doing. You. That's an automatic
0: recharge when you're having fun. Yeah, for me, it's good conversation, and then move. Yeah, and hopefully, if I'm moving outside in the great outdoors, somehow. I taught one of my
1: grandkids, uh, keep your elbows moving and your feet moving, and I think that also applies to keep your brain moving. Yeah, Yeah.
0: (laughs) I think that's right. So, uh, any lessons learned, John, that were really powerful for you? Sometimes, you know, we learn things we get it just right. Other times, when it all goes wrong, you know either side of the ledger? Do you have a lesson in your professional journey that says, you know, I can be instructive to somebody else? I learned a lot from that.
1: I have learned over time to be well-prepared. Go into any conversation as well-prepared as you can. Uh, It's great for negotiations particularly, but it's true for anything, be prepared. Uh, I have learned uh, that you do make mistakes. And the sooner you can recognize a mistake and unwind it, the better. Uh, Don't keep doubling down to make a mistake worse. Uh, I've learned how critical it is to have a team around you that is more competent than you are. You Mm -hmm. want people that are smarter, smarter than you are and will actually tell you what you need to do. And you can move with them
0: not pull them, but with them.
1: <laughs> so John, a I've, lot of
0: people say that, but in practice, when you're interviewing executives, how are you finding that person saying, wow, that's challenging to me? I mean, how, how do you get to that? that? I mean, it's an idea that people talk about, but you've done it, so how did how did you get to that?
1: You know, I don't know. I, I remember, though, at American Airlines Credit Union, uh, I remember with a certain bias, we tried to have people who had real experiences that would contribute to the leadership of the credit union. I had a bias to hope that they had an MBA. A couple went back to school to get MBAs uh, to, to be at that level. Uh, I, I had a bias for people who related well to their employees. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I left American, we'd had four, we'd actually had five, but one left, uh, went, uh, her own way in another career, but we had four or five people who were ready to replace me. Any one of them would have been a great CEO. Mm-hmm. So I, I did that. I remember out here at North Island, It's really the thing that thrilled me at North Island. Uh, They'd gone through a great deal of chaos and difficulty before I got here. But I found in the organization just some really wonderful people here in San Diego that can really turn that credit union around. And they weren't counting on me. They wanted my support, and I wanted to give them their support. But there was a fellow by the name of Jeff Stone, a lady by the name of Jerry Lachance. There was a fellow by the name of Bob Reck. There was a fellow by the name of uh, uh, Kim Reedy. There was... uh, another lovely lady and human resources. I mean, I had a skill set there that just wanted to fix the problems that they had, uh, uh, some of them had been party to, but they knew how to
0: fix them. You
1: know, just finding that right team. I didn't have to go out and recruit it, just had to give them the reins to
0: run. Sounds like you set the, the North Star for them and then got out of the way and let them do it and being supportive and guiding. I, I tried to be phrasing? of help to them, tried, <laughs> tried to apply some,
1: like some leadership principles, but I really had to get out of the way. You're right. Let them do it.
0: Yeah. John, uh-huh. I remember that time you and I had lunch. It was here in San Diego and and I can just remember you talking about, it was kind of on the backside of the
1: experience. Yes. It was It was getting better. Yeah, it, was, it was actually getting fun at that later yeah, point. It, later it, point it was getting it more was fun. It was getting
0: fun. But you know, my takeaway from that lunch and that conversation is you're feeling is, hey, we may have this in the ditch right now, but we can do this. You got this. We're gonna, we're gonna make it. You know, we're gonna find creative ways. We don't have a lot of assets, but I tell you what, the example was the 70th anniversary of the was the naval group out here. Hundred years of
1: naval aviation was the same year the credit union had a 70th anniversary. Yeah. It was, it was at the turnaround point of the come out, uh, coming out of the financial crisis and the turnaround of saving that credit union. We actually made some money that year, but it was a year that was hard to find things to celebrate. It was still a very low point of the struggles. Uh, but yes, we celebrated the anniversary of the credit union. We celebrated the anniversary of aviation. We had everything and every reason we could to celebrate a small victory, a small goal, a small accomplishment, etc. And that was the turnaround year, and it ended up fun, okay? It ended up pleasurable but also with some pain in the process. I didn't want to yeah. diminish that. It was, it was difficult times. Yeah, I hear that.
0: But what I heard in that story too is you were looking for a way to build momentum. Yes. And momentum is important for folks to have some wins to keep going and you found that for them and, I, and with them. Uh,
1: even earlier than that, in 2009, before you were here, the first thing I did with a large group of the staff at the credit union was show the We Are Marshall movie, a large clip from the We Are Marshall movie you can recover from difficult, tragic times, and that credit union needed to have that opportunity to recover. But we Are Marshall seemed to be a story
0: that was applicable. Very good. Um, so if I look at your iPad now, or I look on your nightstand, what are you reading? I think you mentioned- uh, I'm reading the Panama interval. Canal story the, right now. Okay, canal. Which okay. It's, it's,
1: just, you know, it's gonna be a while at this one, okay? It's a pretty thick book. Uh, I just finished one about the uh, Battle of A2, uh, 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 the uh, uh, only real battle on U.S. soil since our Civil War revolution, or going back into our revolution in terms of a foreign power on our soul, soil. So, yes, that was a great book. And of course, that had overlaps with the story I wrote about my dad, the Hearts of Courage stories, which was at the same time frame. So, I just finished that. Very good story. Uh, not just a war story, but it was about a Japanese man and an American man in the confrontation of war and then the after effects mm. on both the families of both of those individuals. It's really a good human story, not just a war story. So I think it's called uh, The Storm on Our Shores. Mm. So that's my latest read. Uh, after leadership I had to have a diversion for well, a while. This is kind of going in another direction
0: too, but I have to ask. So you're an avid reader. You, you love reading uh, history. Um, you've written a book about your dad's history. Yeah. Um, so if somebody's out there and they want to write a book, it can be kind of daunting. Yes. Give it. some advice. You've done it too, though, <laughs> so you you, you can <laughs> answer this question. Well, but well, let's share the, let's share kind of the advice then, because how would you tell people to you know get moving? You can do it. I mean, help them help them over that that hurdle. Well, first of all, uh, my
1: book was a real life history, and, uh, and I had many years to do it, okay? So I, I was accumulating stuff, finding stuff. I did research in Alaska, I did research in Washington, D.C. I went through family files of all kinds. And uh, uh, I, whenever I traveled, I'd find a way to do a matchup, say how do I find something. I went to Long Beach, California, found the home my parents lived in in 36, 37. I, uh, 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 found a place that we lived in We're years. going to add another
0: handle to your resume. It's yeah. investigator. Oh, it
1: was and it, it <laughs> yeah. was a great part of the process was mm. the research and background before you even wrote. Finding the and I I'm, I'm realizing that's true of great writers too. They must pile up tons of stuff before they write their book. So I'd say that's a number one thing is is the preparation before you write. Number two, uh, you're gonna go through lots of drafts. Uh, kind of get used to that. Uh, it's yeah. not gonna look right the first, second, third, or maybe even the eighth or 10th time. Uh, so, and then I let my wife read it and she changed a lot too. And that got to be very painful because she tried to change some things that She's I felt stronger about. But, yeah. she, but in truth, she made it better. Absolutely, no question, she made it better. Yeah. So I think that's the second thing, is understand it's, it's, it's a product of multiple drafts. But you have to have an endpoint. Do you have to have a deadline? You say I'm going to finish it. This is the last version, and it's good to
0: have a, something that forces you to get to an end. Point. Do you remember kind of what was the driver for your deadline? Like what made you pick that deadline? Uh,
1: in that book, I'd like to finish it before I retired from American, so it would give me something to move on to. Because publishing a book is only a piece of a process if you want the book read or shared or understood or what have you that's a lot more work that's not going to happen yeah. just by hanging the book out there and putting it on some shelf somewhere yeah. so i wanted to be able to have a kind of a next career with that book and so it published just before i retired
0: yeah it worked out that's well that's great i do those <laughs> and then perfect.
1: i've been able to tell that story for lots of different audiences across the country different groups uh, fraternal groups uh, credit union groups of course uh, aviation groups uh, I've spoken from Alaska to Florida, uh, telling that story to different groups and audiences, a number of them in Texas, locally. I've told them to youth groups, church groups, uh, conf- conventions, large conventions, small conventions. less been... travel, John, there oh. you go, man. So anyway, yeah. yeah. So, it, But the point is, writing a book is multiple steps, from research to writing, to <laughs> editing and <laughs> publishing. Uh, and then, then actually, if if it's gonna be sold or at least heard, you've gotta get out there and market in a lot of different ways to reach people.
0: Absolutely. Good and fun. So we're coming to the end of our time. I, I don't wanna leave the conversation without saying, if you could um, impart some kind of uh, philosophy, wish, uh, ask of the audience that's listening here, knowing that a lot of them are young leaders, you know, who are listening to us and looking for insights and inspiration and, you know what would you what would you ask of them, or what would you want to impart to our listeners?
1: Well, I'll borrow from other people. Okay, Danny yeah. Thomas uh, spoke to this subject. Uh, Martin Luther King spoke to this subject. Uh, an author by the name of Clayton Christensen, a Harvard yes. professor, speaks to it. How to measure your life? Your life will be measured not by your money, not by your prominence, not by the number of subordinates you'll have. It will be on your impact on the lives of people that you know around you. Your coworkers, your family, your friends, and in many cases your subordinates in a leadership role. Your measurement of your life is not how much money you accumulate. Mm-hmm. And Certainly greed can actually undermine all of your life if you let greed take over. Mm-hmm. But my point is it's on the impact you have on the lives of other people. The principles you teach, the way you help them through their lives, make their lives better, that's
0: that that's going to be god's measuring stick i suspect i suspect it is true and um, you measure up to that stick real good john you've impacted a lot of people over your 50 years and you continue to do that um thank you my friend for being here today
1: thank you for letting me have this conversation it's been fun
0: yeah to our audience uh, thank you very much for checking in in the show notes we'll have information on how to contact john Uh, In addition to that, maybe the reading list we can get our hands on. Uh, I've got to update the reading list because I've read several more that I want to add to the list. There's a lot of great books, and I love that it's dynamic and it's always growing, as well as you mentioned your leadership uh, principles or ideas that maybe that document will have uh, in the show notes as well. John, thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Best to you.